again and thank you for joining me for the final day of daily devotionals this week. As we've looked at different liturgical elements of Ephesians and noticed different traditions and forms used throughout the letter, we've noticed a consistent pattern of Paul using familiar language and formulations to strengthen his gospel message, but he's tailored them to the specific context of Christians in Asia Minor in the first century. By doing this, Paul has addressed these early Christians, these churches made up of Jews and Gentiles, and urged them to be so moved by the gospel of Christ, so as to live as a new humanity, a unified body, a worshipping community that was motivated by and moved by the Holy Spirit, who involves them in fellowship with the unified Godhead and who empowers them for Christian living until Christ's return. Well, in chapters four and five, which we're skipping over a bit, we read detailed instruction for how this calling is to transform their church community. I encourage you to, at some stage, go back and read these chapters. And then as we come to the end of chapter five, we see that Paul not only wants their church community to be transformed, but also their households. I'm going to reread chapter five um, from verse 15 through to 20 because it's so crucial in our understanding of what Paul writes next about households. Paul wrote, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, Paul wants them to be careful, thoughtful, deliberate with how they live, putting off the old self and putting on the new, to borrow language from chapter 4. Living by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, he says in chapter 5, which will fuel their wise living and allow them to live according to God's will. This will look like worship. It'll look like singing and praising God with thanksgiving. And it will look like submission as they give their whole lives to Christ, serving him humbly and allowing everything in their lives to come under his lordship. Submission then means giving over your daily decisions to Christ, letting the gospel guide and shape everything you do. Naturally, then, this not only affects the experience of the believing community, but also this involves their household relationships. So today we're looking at these household codes and the instruction from Paul to households from chapter 5, verse 22 through to 6, verse 9. These are not liturgical elements, but still should be understood within this framework of Paul using known forms, but revising them to reflect the gospel and to meaningfully impact the original hearers. Paul wants their households to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, for their relationships to be shaped by Jesus and their submission to him, not defined by the secular household codes of the day 
or the Jewish ethical teaching of the day. For people in the first century, there was a distinctly different makeup of a typical household. It's helpful for us to understand this. Firstly, they lived in extended family units with households, servants and slaves. Some of these slaves would have been more like voluntary workers who benefited from the status and security of belonging to a household and others would have been traded, people bought and sold. In any event, the head of the household held incredible power, authority and responsibility for his household. His beliefs determined the beliefs of those in his household. The experience of the women and children and household slaves in that household was very much tied to the head of the household. And sometimes that was to their benefit, having their needs provided for. And sometimes this led to incredible exploitation, sexually and in terms of their status and rights. And finally, it's important to think of a household in the first century as a public entity. We don't quite get this because for us, our families are private. What happens in our family is no one's business. And we increasingly live with our front gates closed, so to speak. But in the ancient world, households were a very important social, economic and political unit. They were visible to the community and both contributed to the social fabric of their community and in turn were also influenced by their immediate context. It's in this setting that we should read Paul's household codes, both here in Ephesians and also in Colossians, but they're also referred to in many ways in some of his other letters too. You'll notice Paul doesn't overthrow the norm of the day, much to our frustration at times. He doesn't call for the immediate abolishment of slavery, for instance. He wants their households in their current context to come under the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, no longer shaped by the world, but governed by the gospel and, the, and to be spirit led in all that they do. As the church community comes under Christ, so the household must also submit to Christ. This we learn from other Pauline letters will be a powerful witness to the world as the watching community actually recognises and relates to them and yet sees distinctly different values expressed in their relationships. And so Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, 
and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must uh, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and respect with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Well, notice the reciprocity between husbands and wives, children and their fathers, and masters and slaves. They each have a responsibility one to another as they seek to live out what Paul has called them to, a humble, gentle, patient posture that bears with one another in love. Women, children and slaves not used to status and dignity in their own right, are addressed as people who can witness to Christ in their community. They participate in the kingdom as they serve, not serving now out of a lack of worth, but with their humanity fully dignified in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has loved and redeemed them in their own right. They have a place in God's work as they love, serve, and honour those in their household. Husbands are to love their wives, to be solely committed to them in love with their bodies as they submit themselves to Christ and serve their wives with care and kindness. There's more to say here, but I'm short on time. These verses have been, in my view, at times incorrectly used to prescribe roles and order in households. But I hope you can see that as Paul adopts and adapts this familiar form, these household codes, he wants the home to be redeemed for all their relationships to come under Christ and to be governed by the self-giving love that all believers must express to each other. For us here today, our households look very different to the first century setting. And yet principally, we can be encouraged by that same instruction. Let all of your relationships be governed by the gospel. Live out by the Holy Spirit your faith, submitting everything to Christ. I hope this week has been helpful, a slightly different approach, but aimed at building up some literacy so that we can access the depth of Paul's message. He wrote within the framework and the language of corporate gatherings but uniquely and specifically tailored the liturgical elements to reinforce the magnitude of the gospel and to call for a response. 
transformed lives, a unified new humanity in Christ, living in the fullness of his love by the power of his Holy Spirit. God bless you and I'll see you next time.